Hi, welcome back to Agriscope. Today with us, we have a very special guest, one of my coworkers that teaches high school science at Central Community High School with us. Also one of my very dear friends. This is Kathy Conan. Uh, she has been in education for 11 years, but before that has done some really cool jobs that relate to a lot of what we do in agriculture and will give us a little bit more of a science side into what agriculture uh, looks like. So Kathy, tell us a little bit about you and then maybe some of the jobs that you've had in before you came to be in education. Okay, hi. Um, <laughs> thank you for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so my degree, I actually went to Eastern Illinois University and my degree is in chemistry with a concentration in biochem. So I really liked the life side of chemistry. Um, all of the parts of the cell that are contained within things like DNA, fats, lipids, how medicines work, genetics, all of that falls um, under my umbrella with my biochemistry degree. And um, so I started off being a chemist. I've actually had a few jobs with that that pertain to ag, things that were very, very interesting. It all started in college when I went and had an internship at the USDA at the Midwestern Laboratory over in St. Louis. And so I was there on my summer vacation and Christmas break working in the antibiotic residue laboratory where we would receive organs from uh, bovine that potentially had been exposed to antibiotics uh, too close to their slaughter date. And so then we would test their kidney for antibiotic residue, basically cut up their organs that were um, extracted from the inspector and put them in different pH buffers to try to extract the different types of antibiotics. And then we would uh, see if they would prohibit bacterial growth. And then based on the amount of prohibition that we saw, we could determine how much antibiotic was in the animal at the time of death. Um, if they did come up positive, then we continued with by testing their muscle and liver tissue as well. So I did that um, over the summer, which was really interesting. My first kind of experience handling organs on a daily basis. <laughs> Eventually I worked at the- More handling organs. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it's true because um, I ended up working for the Illinois Department of Agriculture after I moved back to Southern Illinois. And there we had uh, two veterinarians that would do necropsies on animals that were brought to us uh, by farms that were having some sort of problem. And the problem could range from being bacterial to viral um, to chemical. Um, and so I was in the toxicology section and the veterinarians would do necropsies on carcasses or people could just bring us the animal itself or their organs itself if their personal vet was able to do some sort of necropsy out on the farm. And so then our vets would take over. We would make, we had a histology section that would make its own slides to look at the tissues for inflammation and all sorts of other things. And then they would divvy out the samples or the organs to, you know, whether it be bacteriology or virology or toxicology. And we would process those and, and see what we could find. Thing to go out and help the Southern Illinois farmer determine if there was a problem in their herd, whether it was, you know, something physical like, uh, maybe they were getting into some sort of source of lead on the farm, or if it was more in dealing with their nutrition. And so we also tested a lot of things for like water quality, water runoff, as well as like aflatoxin in milk, aflatoxin in corn. We had our hands in all sorts of different parts of egg, not just the crops, but also the animals, and then also some environmental water areas as well. Well, and all of you that have raised animals, like you know, 
when an animal dies, there's a million different reasons that it could be. And especially if you're having multiple animals. Multiple deaths, right. That are, you know, to know maybe that there's that one, like, same thing or whatever. Um, one of the things we mentioned, that Kathy mentioned to me when we were having just this conversation the one time was, like, if old cars end up in waterways or end up in, you know, people have dumped them in creeks or just in general in flood ground or whatever. Like, that's one of the things that could be a source of lead in a water source or in... Right, even in a pasture, you know, if somebody were to park a car just to, you know, and it, the car's kind of rusting out there um, on the side of the farm somewhere, you just never know if, if that battery gets warm enough, if the heat gets hot enough, if it ruptures, if it leaks any sort of battery acid, all of that is going to be laced with lead. And plus, you know, all of us who have been around baby cows know that they will lick anything, <laughs> you know, whether it be a battery or even eat paint off the side of an old barn. You know, so you can actually have several deaths, especially in small cattle, you know, due to lead exposure. Mm -hmm. So if you listen back to our episode two or three, we talk about meat processing. I took a tour of Winneman's Meat Processing Facility, and we talked about there being a USDA inspector in those rooms as we go through that. And they pull every single kidney, liver. I'm sure there's more to that, too. And that's when they're looking for those, maybe that antibiotic residue or could be other signs of disease infection, whatever. Um, but Kathy talked a little bit earlier. She said if they had an antibiotic too close to being slaughtered. So every single one of our antibiotics or other drugs that we give those animals have what we call a withdrawal period. And that withdrawal period is essentially how long you have to wait to slaughter that animal after giving that antibiotic, that drug, whatever. And Kathy's husband actually is a vet. So mm -hmm. she comes at us with kind of both sides of those two. And she said that most of the time your vet will also let you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime, uh, you know, any sort of new drug that is uh, prescribed and, you know, some of our classic antibiotics and things like that, that, you know, all farmers use pretty regularly. All of those have a withdrawal period. Any drug in the body would. And so we have to just wait. Hopefully your vet would tell you something like, you can't slaughter her for two weeks after this drug is given, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Or you can't milk for so long. Uh, you know, whatever the case may be. But yeah, every drug is different. And our, you know, mammal bodies wash those drugs out in a timely manner. But Sometimes it just, you know, certain ones take a little bit longer than others. And so that's something we have to be cognizant of as food producers. It's always cool just to hear too, or if you guys ever look at your meat in the grocery store, a lot of times they'll have a label on it or your meat or your milk will have a label on it that says antibiotic free, which I just always think is an interesting marketing gimmick more than anything. Um, any of your meat that comes to you from a certified meat processing plant is going to have gone through those things. And, and we know that it is antibiotic free. Um, that's part of the regulation that the USDA does. Um, and that hopefully our agriculture producers also keep up as just part of their code of ethics and knowing that we're delivering food sources to you know all of America for sure too. Absolutely and the inspectors are trained to look at actual muscle tissue and a lot of times if an ejection was given um, of certain drugs it will change the color of the muscle tissue as well so you know you may be looking at at the hindquarter or something like that and if you can see that the the muscle tissue Sometimes it appears yellowish or brown or something like that. Obviously, something's been injected. And so right away, it's a red flag. Our USDA is trained to do all those things, which is awesome. Make sure that our food stays the safest here in the USA. Makes you feel good that we have lots of people that are and government organizations that are in charge of regulating that too, um, that hopefully have the best interest in. So Kathy's worked 
obviously lots of different jobs. We've heard about some of those different things and now is in education. Tell us maybe a little bit about what you enjoyed about some of that more lab-based work um, and maybe some of the things now that you see different or enjoy about education here. Yeah, so whenever you work in a laboratory, you're in the same room every day. You're in the same room with the same two or three people and you're just cranking away at samples and and coming up with those results, uh, doing good work. But, and so for someone that is a little less outgoing uh, than I am, you know, that is the life for them. I love being around kids. I've been a coach for almost 20 years. And so I'm kind of more of a social butterfly. And so it was really nice. You know, a lot of times when I was a chemist, I was coaching simultaneously. And so I was able to talk to the kids and and have different scenarios every day and different conversations and what happened at school today and what's the latest gossip, et cetera. And so when I transitioned into teaching, it just seemed really natural for me because I was already a coach and I really enjoyed how things changed on the daily basis in the classroom. Everybody always has something new to say or there's something new going on in the high school that you got to learn about. Um, And so that was a really nice transition. As a chemist, some of the things that I never thought that I would have to do kind of growing up into it was, you know, in your high school chemistry class, you do a lot of things with glassware. You do a lot of things with graduated cylinders and beakers. And we do that in a normal lab as well. But you have to realize a lot of, like if you're doing aflatoxin testing on HPLC, which is something called high performance liquid chromatography, I mean, that that instrument is a $150,000 instrument. And it is, everything is hooked up to a computer. It's all computerized. There are detectors on there that can detect different wavelengths of light and, and things are under pressure and going through columns and there's, there's so many moving parts to it. You know, I never thought as a chemist that everything I would do would be on computer, which every one of our instruments is individually hooked up to a PC and, and that's how we record our data. Also, you know, you just never think that you're gonna have to use a wrench or a screwdriver and you know, usually when you work for a company, they want you to try to tackle any sort of instrumentation problem yourself first. Right. right. And so I think as a, a 21-year-old <laughs> undergraduate student, I never thought, oh, I'm going to use a screwdriver today. As a chemist, you're like, oh, I have to use tools. You know, right. that's, that was new. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you, you get to be really good working with tools in the laboratory as well. So there's, I mean, there's a huge mechanical component because to have a company come out and fix one of your instruments is thousands of dollars. You know, you're paying for a flight and a hotel room and everything else. And so they really want the chemists to get their, their hands on the instrumentation and try to fix it first. And so that was, that was good. But I really like the social aspect of teaching. And I like high school kids. They're fun. We can kind of poke fun at each other and it keeps things interesting every day. Well, and we all know high school kids need somebody to love them and give them the support too. I mean, and even the ones that get the absolute most at home, it's always fun to have a different a relationship with another adult that truly loves and cares for you, wants to see the best out of you, wishes you the best. Like, it's always fun to Absolutely. do that in teaching. Well, and you were talking today about a student that you had a discussion with about, well, Mrs. Conan teaches science. That's not egg. It's all egg. Like, this is 100% egg. And... Yeah, agriculture and and biology and agriculture and and biochemistry are more intertwined than anything else. Oh, absolutely. Well, and yeah, and ag is, like, science is the only thing that keeps us moving forward. We're being asked to produce land on less 
or produce food on less land than we've ever had. Um, we're getting more efficient with producing those animals. And all of that comes directly from science. All of that comes directly from research. Um, and taking all of that research that's done and implementing that into our current practices, continuing to grow in agriculture and not just rely on the, well, that's how grandpa's always done it. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the hybrids, the genetic side of it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, whether, you know, we're trying to breed for better milk production, more hardy crops, anti-drought type crop situations, all of that comes into play. And, and you have to deal with the biology of it. You know, these are living organisms. And, and so they have to be maintained and they have to be healthy and they have to have the correct vitamin levels and dehydration. We all know that we've had down cows that have lack of calcium, whatever. You know, they have to have what they need. They are living things. And so, yeah, the biology and the ag just, it goes hand in hand. Absolutely. One word that you've said multiple times that I just want you to explain a little bit more aflatoxin what are aflatoxins and what because you know i'm not a science person (laughs) so just give us a little bit of what that is yeah so aflatoxin is a fungus it comes from aspergillus that can affect corn in when the corn is stressed so if we have a really dry year and i believe around 2013 here in illinois we had a really bad aflatoxin year and so what ends up happening is is that corn if your pure corn gets mixed into the diet or even in like a green chop type situation where there may be, you know, spare kernels here or there, the cow takes that in. And then what ends up happening happening is the cow's body processes uh, that toxin that just happens to be found in the corn because the corn was stressed that year and it does come out in the milk. It's a lot less than what was originally found in the corn because the cow's body dilutes it out and processes it itself. But there are certain levels of aflatoxin that are too high for uh, human consumption. And so if a large milk type company would test that in the field, um, usually would test their tank, the tanker, and see what they do, a quick test out in the field. And if if, if the milk does happen to fail that aflatoxin test in the field, then they would send it to a lab like the one I used to work at. And we would do, like I said, HPLC, um, high performance liquid chromatography, on that milk to determine what the perfect, you know, the quick test isn't always 100% like on the money accurate. Right. And so then we would do the more complicated test that, that gave us the perfect reading on how much aflatoxin was in there. And if it's too much, then the whole tank gets dumped. And so we're talking thousands upon thousands of gallons and so that's it's a lot of stress as a chemist to make sure that you're doing it the procedure correctly because you don't want to hurt the farmer and you don't you know no one wants to dump something unnecessarily because that is just too much money and people have worked way too hard to in that to produce that milk as a chemist we have all of our fail safe quality control measures in place to make sure that we're getting the correct answer and and we hope that we never have to dump any. But mm-hmm. there has been times where, like I said, in bad years, um, where, you know, unfortunately we can't drink that. Aflatoxin is a carcinogen. And so, it, like I said, if it's, which means it can cause cancer. Um, and so if it's too high in milk, we can't have humans drink it. So these are jobs that I, I guess I didn't really necessarily know even existed. Like I know are important and obviously are crucial to making sure that we stay safe and that our animals stay safe and all of that. If you could give any sort of explanation of how to find these jobs, um, maybe inspiring people to go into careers like this, like what do you wish people knew 
about some of the jobs that a chemist does or maybe that we do in chemistry or you know really getting a degree in a chemistry type field like biochemistry or even forensic science which was a lot of what I did in the toxicology section we're looking at levels of different toxins in the body as well as different levels whether it be in the water in the milk metals levels whether it be in the blood or the brain or kidney liver um, all things that have to be done to keep our animals healthy you know I would I would start looking on the Illinois Department of Agriculture website to see all of the different things that are out there. But chemistry is a really, really broad degree. And so you can really take it in any direction that you want to go. If you wanted to do metals and do, you know, metallurgy, if you wanted to do something with life, definitely go and, and get some biochem on, on your side there, uh, dealing with, you know, the DNA and, and lipids and proteins and how medicines work in the body, different enzymes and proteins. But if you want to go make perfume for a company, there are those types of chemists. Uh, you know, I just think about if, if I walk into a, a home improvement store and I look at the 30 different types of glue that mm. stick to 30 different things <laughs> or the different types of paints that stick to metal versus wood versus plastic versus whatever, uh, all of that was invented by a chemist. Even animal food. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many different dog chows are out there? How many different diets are out there? There, it, you really can do anything with a chemistry degree as a base place to jump off from, whether you go to medical school or whether you want to make the next mascara that makes your lashes longer than somebody else's. <laughs> I mean, you know, mm -hmm. it's all marketing. It's all technology. It's giving the consumer and the people in society the things that we desire that make our lives easier and better. And, you know, whether that be healthier or better shampoos, better whatever. I mean, it's all under the umbrella of chemistry. Makes things stick better together and makes it smell better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that just goes to show, I mean, just agriculture in general, we've talked a lot about this being such a broad industry, but I mean, we really get pieces and parts of everything. We talk marketing, we talk business, we talk science, we talk, I mean, it, it really has its hands in just so many different places. Even if you maybe don't necessarily know that agriculture is reaching that, there's a lot that goes into how agriculture actually gets out and into the market and how we produce some of those things. And we hope that by listening to maybe this podcast or by maybe doing some of your research, you get to see just a little bit more about where your food comes from, maybe just a little bit more about how those things are created and minted, all the amount of time that goes into there. And for maybe those of you young listeners, hopefully getting some inspiration into different types of jobs that you could go into, um, just knowing that the world is bigger than maybe what you've seen in just your backyard or maybe what you've seen your parents grow up at, in having jobs in. Because if you sit down and chat with somebody about, about the specific jobs that they had, or maybe even jobs that they've had throughout their lifetime, it's interesting to hear just how many different things there are. And me, as an ag teacher, that is supposed to know some of these different things, even just I am hearing from all kinds of different people to learn just a little bit more about what we have the potential to go into maybe talking to my students a little bit more about things that they could get as do as a career, um, ways that they can impact not only agriculture, but the betterment of humankind as well. 
Kathy, thanks for joining us on our episode of Agriscope today. If you guys have any questions about anything that Kathy let us know, told us about, educated us about here today, I will be sure to get those to Kathy because (laughs) I can't answer any of those questions. (laughs) That sounds great. Looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of Agriscope. We hope to see you again next week.